Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. We are thrilled to announce the launch of this podcast network to add more avenues to grow awareness and innovation around analytics and sports. We are excited to make the panel discussions from our 2019 conference, which covers a wide range of sports and analytics topics available via podcast for the very first time. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 2019 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Philip Tu, and I'm a second year MBA at MIT Sloan, and it is my pleasure to introduce our panel today, Achievement Unlocked, eSports Analytics. Today, our panelists are Sebastian Park, Vice President of Esports at Clutch Gaming and Houston Rockets, Doug Watson, Head of Esports Insights at Riot Games, Nicole Pike, Global Managing Director at Nielsen Esports, Kazar Drafruti, Senior Business Analyst of Strategy and Analytics at Activision Blizzard, Ed Chang, Director of Business Strategy at Electronic Arts, and our panel will be moderated by Ryan Garvat, Senior Editor of Esports at ESPN. The panel will run for 45 minutes, with 10 minutes uh, additionally for questions. If you would like to submit questions, please do, please do so via Twitter with our hashtag eSportsAnalytics. Uh, with that, I'll hand it over to Ryan. Great, thank you. I've got a mic here. Thanks. <laughs> uh, welcome. Thanks again for everybody braving the weather to come here. Um, it's a nice crowd, too. Uh, let's, uh, we'll get right into it. I'm going to set it up a little bit about the state of the industry and and to see how we can fix it. Um, the esports industry brought in uh, $865.1 million of revenue in 2018, according to a Newsu report uh, released a couple weeks ago. And, and they, they, Newsu says that the industry stands to reach $1.1 billion this year, and based on, the, based on the company's projections, and with a growth rate of 22.3% year over year. Newsu predicted that the industry will rake in $1.79 billion in revenue by 2022. These are big numbers. And uh, earlier I saw a conversation yesterday on Twitter uh, how Riot's self-reported League of Legends uh, World Championships viewership compared to the Super Bowl. And there was a debate about uh, the viability of that number. These are large numbers. Um, these are big attention-grabbing numbers. So uh, I'll start with Sebastian. Uh, what's the problem with that? I mean, so when we first came to Sloan as for esports here, like a few years ago, even 2015, uh, the main intent was evangelism, right? Esports was not readily known by the community at large. Society hadn't picked up the Fortnite craze and found out by Overwatch and League of Legends and Apex. The ones up happening is like back then, the, the goal was to get attention grabbing numbers, to tell the world that, hey, we're a real thing, pay attention to us. Uh, the problem is, is that you know, there are some like, serious downstream effects that really hurt the industry if we keep pushing numbers that aren't necessarily true or valid, right? They're, it's beneficial for organizations, mm -hmm. both on the sponsorship front, but also on the team front to say, hey, you know, we're, we're destroying the Super Bowl. We're destroying the World Series in terms of viewership. And that creates an expectation that may not hold up if when we like, go back and drill down into the numbers, we're not comparing the right things to each other. And that, I think, is something that we're starting to see now because unlike in you know, traditional sports where you have companies like Nielsen reporting on what they're trying to do, in our industry, it, the, 
the reporting numbers generally come from the publishers themselves or from teams or from organizations who are self-interested. And, and those incentives may cause issues. Yeah, it really is that structural issue where, you know, traditional sports, the NBA and the NFL are not responsible for telling everyone how many people watch it. You have companies like Nielsen. Without, without that in esports, every company is kind of using their own metrics, and it's really the Wild West in a way. Yeah. And we run into an issue then of accountability and consistency when we don't have essentially third parties that are able to tell this story on behalf of, again, the leagues and the teams and the publishers. You run into a spot where anybody can put any numbers out there and there's no set standard and consistency within them. So you start making those comparisons and when you drill into it, they're not the same thing. Yeah. Um, but you guys, are, you guys are working to fix that. And um, Nicole, I know, I know at Nielsen, um, accuracy of reporting is core to the central to your organization. And, uh, and you are, want to be that third party uh, to help. Can you tell me a little bit about what you, you guys are doing at Nielsen <laughs> to kind of um, become that, that kind of intermediary voice in this industry? Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, that was really the cornerstone of why Nielsen felt it was important for us to develop a practice area that was eSports specific. Um, even outside research firms that are putting numbers out, a lot of them come from gaming specific research and aren't evaluating all the other forms of entertainment and viewership out there. So there's an inherent opportunity for that to become bi biased for self-fulfilling reasons. So we basically want to be and, and can be the Switzerland in all this. Um, certainly it's not as easy as TV where right now, obviously Nielsen is the one measuring all that and you flip it on if there's a new program on Nielsen measures. So we've kind of taken two sides. One is working with folks here and others in the industry to just better inform, okay, if review viewership is being reported, here's how to put it in a way that is comparative between traditional sport or other form of entertainment. And then the second step of that is actually Nielsen coming into the space and being able to measure working with the broadcasters to be the third party that's actually doing it, not just controlling and advising on what the metric should be. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've, uh, how have you worked with uh, Activision Blizzard and Riot um, uh, so far? And is there anything you can share about where where you're at in that relationship and uh, something we can look forward to? Yeah, sure. I'm sure, they can comment. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, so the, the folks on stage here have all recognized that this is an issue. Um, that if we're not the ones that are going to steward a, a movement towards consistency in reporting and and actually gain trust of those entering the space, then what we're really doing is building castles in the sky, right? We're going to build things that are not sustainable and not consistent uh, long-term. And so for us, we've been focused on saying, how can we help the industry uh, understand the space better? And how can we provide those standard definitions and build those things out with a new forms of education that everyone can get behind and be consistent behind uh, so that over time, we have numbers that are comparable, the numbers that can be related back to traditional uh, media marketing, and make it so that folks entering the space um, have the ability to come in with like eyes wide open. And so the, the folks up here have identified that this is something where it's our responsibility in order to help make sure esports gets to where it should be um, and put stuff behind it. Yeah, I think the other piece here is that <clears throat> esports is probably one of the first sports that are that is like digital first, like before linear. Um, but now we are also putting our content, a lot of us are putting our content on linear also. Yeah. And so how do, we, how do we make an apples to apples comparison, right, of, of viewership um, when we're going out and selling sponsorships or we're going out and comparing metrics? And I think um, while digital first, we see a lot of linear platforms also going digital, so it's like a hybrid. 
And the sooner we get ahead of that curve and we're able to standardize the way we report, I think the, the, the better aligned that we all are. Yeah, I think, go ahead. I was gonna say, I think it seems like the and everyone is looking at esports and saying it's blowing up so fast and everyone loves the narrative that esports is bigger than X. So any company that comes out and puts any big number out, they get they get quoted by essentially everyone. And they're incentivized to do that. Oh yeah. So like we have to kind of fight that and try to make sure that there's the right numbers, everything is real. But at the same time, everyone really wants to go out and say the biggest numbers possible. Because if yeah. you're the biggest number, you get quoted the most. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to hear me, uh, for me to hear you say we want to have a more realistic number because so much of the, the momentum of the esports industry has been throwing these large figures um, out there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I guess I'll throw this uh, to, to Sebastian. Um, how would you combat misinformation? Um, how, how, do you, uh, how do you identify what may be a suspicious number or, or something like that, and then what's your, what would be your reaction to that? Yeah, I, mean, I think what's really important, right, is that the, when, you're often, when you often run into these numbers, uh, they're impressive because they're supposed to be impressive, right? And so the first thing you have to think about is what is the actual total addressable market of esports? And the honest answer is that esports is massive. Like there are hundreds of millions of people in the world who will watch, but they're in the world. They're not just in Los Angeles or New York. There aren't 100 million people in Los Angeles. Like there's, there might be in Shanghai, but definitely not in, in LA. And so you start with there, and, you, and I think part of it is just you know, double-checking those numbers. And, and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here, but when, when I read a lot of these, these papers, especially like the news paper, great headline, picked up basically by everyone. Uh, you know, they're, I don't know where they derive 50% of those numbers, right? Yeah. Like, how, how are you separating one thing from the other? And it's, it's just being more, just thinking critically, right? I think everyone on this stage, like we represent three different game publishers, I think the three largest game publishers in the United States, Nielsen obviously, even ESPN to a certain extent. These, these companies are coming to the space and looking at the numbers that we have. And from an observer's perspective, you just have to think a little bit more cynically. Uh, just be, to be like, hey, like, it's awesome to accept this at face value, but let's take a step back and examine how it actually works. And I think that's, uh, for the longest time, especially because so many organizations are venture-backed or they're, they're built on this hype, you know, you sometimes turn a blind eye to it and no one calls the emperor naked, right? And so once, it's, I think it's reassuring that being critical, critical of the space is something that's shared across different game publishers mm -hmm. and different people. Like that's the easiest way to like, you know, really drive this for change. Yeah, I think, I think you bring up a good point in terms of it's important to look at kind of the, the motivations of, of the reporting of the data, right? I think we are all up here because we hope that 20 years from now we're sitting here and talking about esports and how big it is. But, you know, there's short-term investors that have come into the space. There's a lot of money that's been poured in. And if someone's looking to hit their rate of return on an investment of a team or something, like, they're more incentivized, really, to report certain numbers that may or may not have holes in it. So, um, exactly. yeah. Yeah, and I think that transfers over to the brand and sponsorship investment as well. We see a lot of brands who are at one end of the spectrum where they literally won't put a dollar in until there's third-party measurement. Others who the conversation has changed even over the past 18 months when brands come to us and talk to us. At first it used to be, 
So are these numbers real about esports or not? And, and now the big question is, what's the real number? Because we know this is wrong. So there's starting to be more recognition out there that's going to have you know, more effect long term on whether they're even willing to put dollars mm -hmm. in as well. Yeah. And that's not a good conversation to have, right? Like, like that's the wrong conversation to be having when you're getting into esports. Like last year, we had sources out there reporting our MSI numbers, our mid-season invitational numbers, were I think like 126 million at peak. And we had to immediately go out there and refute that and be like, no, that, that's six and a half times higher than what we actually saw. Hmm. The number that we saw at peak was great. It, it was something that we were proud of. Like, we went up, I think, 22% year over year, somewhere in that ballpark. You saw 22 million people watching, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, 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 it, it's, it's like meaningful. 22, people, 22 million people don't just up and watch something, right. right? And so clearly, that's huge. But let's have that conversation. Right. Like, and then let's talk about that audience and who that audience is, because that audience is, is a, a demographic that is extremely valuable and is really interesting and hard to reach and everyone's fighting for their attention. So let's have the conversation about what we can do and, and bring folks into the space you know, with the eyes wide open. Well, you, you know, you're, you're touching on the, our next topic is basically kind of measuring what a viewer is. You know? um, so oh, since um, you know, I mentioned that this is a, the, first digi the digital oh, first sport and people are consuming um, uh, Esports in in ways that 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 are foreign to traditional sports uh, or were in a, for a time. Mm -hmm. um, a, uh, a for example, a Twitch viewer has uh, a chat going on on the right, and and uh, they're interacting. Uh, they're when they link their 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 account to their Blizzard account, and they're watching Overwatch League. They're earning in-game currencies, essentially like a pay for view. Um, they're more of a participant, uh, whereas like a Sunday night football viewer may be a passive viewer. Um, how, do, how do you compare a Twitch viewer versus, uh, versus a, a, like, a, like, a, like a Sunday night football viewer, more passive, and I'll let maybe start with that. Yeah, I'll start with that. I think, I think the, the <laughs> first big difference is really um, how much more data we have about a digital viewer, right? I think we talk a lot about esports analytics and things that we wish were better, but I said this yesterday, like, what analytics do you get on a billboard in an arena, right? Or on the side of the freeway, which people are paying money for since the beginning uh, of advertising, really. And so we just have so much more data on a user. We know exactly, we know where they're from. We sometimes know their age group. Um, you mentioned things like, like the Twitch linking. So we do this, I think uh, Overwatch does this, and, and CSGO do this, but on Twitch, people are able to connect their account with the publisher, and they can earn prizes and, and in-game items by, by viewing the stream. We call it, it's Twitch drops, right? And, when they link their accounts, we basically get so much data into their gameplay behavior, and we link that with their viewing behavior. And I think one of the biggest questions that we as publishers are always trying to answer is, what is the efficacy of what we're doing, right? Like in terms of, is esports really moving the needles at the tip of the spear? And we're able to look at that kind of data and say, conclusively, like, yes, when someone watches one of our FIFA broadcasts, they spend more time in the game, they spend more money in the game, um, and that's, that's really powerful. Versus linear, um, you have service like Nielsen do a great job, but it's, it's, it's somewhat of a black box to get to know anything more about purchasing behavior or things like that. Um, you mentioned something that struck me, and I'll ask Nicole this. So you said that there, you, through a Twitch viewer, through a, a digital viewer, you can collect a, a lot more information. But Nielsen has been working for forever to collect information on linear viewers. How wide is that gap of information, or is that true? And, uh, and how do you account for that in, in a, like a, a standardization metric? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's kind of two sides to this. So one is the who are they and how and why are they valuable side of things, and the other side is just like, 
are they a viewer or not? Do we even count them as that? And I think, um, to Ed's point, there's a ton of data that publishers can have and, and can kind of prove out the longer tail value of someone, I think, where the industry is still at in terms of being able to have alignment and trust and information is how many of those persons are there actually and, and what can we realistically count? I mean, and, and that's what this group has talked a lot about in terms of what's the right metric. Um, if you're talking about reach, is it you know anyone that happens to go upon a Twitch broadcast for three seconds or is it someone that's watched for six minutes? Like there's those sorts of things where that's where a company like Nielsen coming in and number one, setting a standard for how to define and then actually setting everything up to be able to measure that so it's not on the onus of everyone on the stage yeah. or the broadcasters to have to figure that out themselves where there's that value and, and then from there you can take whatever that number yields and add on all the great stuff about you know why those are the right persons yeah, to be exactly. reaching. Yeah, yeah. And, and from the publisher perspective, um, all that data collection it serves two purposes. Part of it is, is to enable the sport to do better and to have the actual uh, right partners come into the sport and understand what they're doing, understand what the performance is, understand the audience. The other side of it is uh, upstream at the game level itself. How can we use that data to inform the game and improve the play experience for that same fan at home? So uh, for us, we need to think of what data can we get and how do we apply it to the right product surface? And then within the sports space, how can we make sure that data becomes available to the right partners so that they can make the right decisions and that we can have the appropriate conversation about how they can bring an authentic message to that audience and have a great experience for the fan? And, and just, just interject, I think one thing that's worth drilling down on here is that you shouldn't take away from this that people are bearish about esports, right? That's not yeah. the concern here. The concern here is that the conversation should be, hey, who are the most valuable demographics to capture if you are a sports advertiser or an advertiser in general? And it's almost always 18 to 25-year-old men and like 25-year-old to 35-year-old women, right? And both, both categories are playing and watching and consuming this content. The conversation shouldn't be, do I get the entire country of the United States to watch? which is what the Super Bowl analogy usually is. Like that's just a different value add. The, the amazing thing about a League of Legends broadcast is that you can watch Clutch Gaming play, and then you can watch four other games back to back to back to back, right? You can go and watch a Counter-Strike event, same thing. You can just watch for 10 hours straight. And even without necessarily the deepest YouTube or RTB type of data around the person, I can tell you like, look, we, we can look in the audience and say, no one here is over 30. Right, mm -hmm. and so I'm not this audience. I think that sounds familiar, but but like in, in an esports audience, like most people aren't over 30, and so that immediately it doesn't matter if that number is 100 million or 20 million. Both numbers are far more people that they're getting access to than even the NBA, right? And that I think is something that it makes people like people don't want to talk about it because they think it's going to hurt their positioning. But in reality, no, it's going to help because later on beyond the six, 12 month period that we're thinking about, we're going to start seeing the improvements of the type of targeting you're doing. Your ads, your sponsorships, your partnerships are going to look better if you're targeting the right people with them. Exactly. Yeah, and I think in sports, you know, no one, not that many people look publicly at the 18 to 34 demographic versus, you know, the P2 plus or the 18 to 49. And, you know, this is something I know we've looked at. And there's a pretty big drop off as you get into 18 to 34 where it could be like 10% of the whole audience. Um, and I think that's where esports can actually compete today with that audience um, in the U.S. Even. 
Yeah, agree. And I think, unfortunately, some of the big numbers that people don't trust then create distrust in that underlying story yeah. that should yeah. be told and should be the undercurrent of why this is a valuable industry. If, if you start at the top and lose people there, they're not going to keep listening. Kazari, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, Activism Blizzard, maybe of, of any of the major eSport uh, de uh, developers, um, have uh, been attracted to linear television uh, with, uh, with a broadcast on Disney XD and, and ESPN. Um, I have written down here digital versus linear, but is it? I mean, how do you treat the, how do you treat the different platforms? And I know one of the goals is to simplify that, that question, but is it really digital? Is it really a, are you looking at different platforms in different ways? Yeah, and I think you know, a platform at the end of the day is the extension of the audience. So I think when we look at linear and we look at digital, it's a way to reach even more people. Um, and at the end of the day, Linear has really, really high reach. You know, you look at their average audience numbers and it's really high, even at a basic level. Mm -hmm. um, so I think as we look at the platform we put our content on, it's to ensure that as many people as possible can see it. Yeah. And, and I, the thing I think is important here is it's, we want to reach people wherever they want to watch. At the end of the day, if I'm watching on mobile phone, if I'm watching on my TV, if I'm watching on a computer while I'm playing the game, it doesn't matter. It's, it's where am I having the experience and what content am I consuming? Uh, and we want to make sure when we talk about measurement perspective that we're measuring all that in a consistent way and that it's apples to apples with any other types of opportunities to be able to reach that same type of audience. After that, what, what's the beautiful thing about esports is that you have an audience who has these connection points with the game and with the space in a different way, uh, be it through Twitch, be it through the gameplay itself. And it, unlocks other opportunities to bring great messaging to that audience. And, and so when we think about the measurement perspective, we want the measurement for the viewership to, to align with the way that you think about how you uh, measure viewership traditionally mm -hmm. and simplify the conversation. And then after that, we can go a bit further and say, how can we use that other space and those other forms of messaging? And again, measure those appropriately, but use those things to, to bring other forms of engagement and, and again, the full story together for brand. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if it wasn't for, if, if ESPN is not paying us a lot of money, like, and, and by us, I'm saying League of Legends in this case, I'm, I'm, you guys are paying other people lots of money. Uh, if ESPN is paying a lot of money, that is the only reason to content gate, right? If you're not content gating, just be everywhere, right? Like, there's no reason for you to be on one platform. You want the maximal exposure. That's sort of the entire intent. And then you go to ESPN and say, hey, guys, so 10 years, $30 billion for eSports, sound good, and they move on with your life, right? Like I think the, without, without that ability to like reach that broader audience, I think that's just a different conversation, right? It, it makes no sense. I, I hear people all the time being like, oh, why are people on, on linear? And I'm like, well, why shouldn't they be? If they're gonna have them, put it on there. And it, if it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, we'll learn something new. Yeah. The, the concern I think that you brought up, and I think Ed brought up earlier was uh, backstage was that when you go on linear, you don't want to then therefore judge the linear broadcast on E-League on Turner against how the like Celtics played last night, right? How that game is doing. That's going to be a really painful comparison for esports, and it's not the correct one, right? Like it's it's that I think is the only concern we have when we're on all these platforms is because these numbers are so poorly reported. If you are on YouTube and Twitch and Caffeine and Facebook and and linear, somehow people get lost and can't report an accurate number anymore. Yeah. I, I think for us to, like beyond the numbers, I think um, there's a difference in how we treat the broadcast on both linear and digital. You know, I think it's safe to say that out of the, the games on stage, 
ours are probably the easiest to understand. It's not, it's not a reach, right? It's like Madden, it's FIFA, um, you know, even Apex. But um, I think we treat the broadcast differently because they, they serve different methods, right? Like we talked about how big linear still is. Like everyone sees the cord cutting numbers, but still linear is massive. And so it's like drinking from the fire hose. It's just like, bam, like if you want, if you want an interesting time whenever Overwatch or League or even Madden is on linear TV, look on Twitter and like people are either really happy or really angry, <laughs> have no idea why it's on their TV screen replacing whatever their favorite show is. Um, but it's a chance to expose like for better or worse to an audience that normally never would have watched some of our content. And I think, um, when we put it on digital, that's like the core, that's like the authentic broadcast. It's for the hardcore players. It's people that are gonna tune in every single day and right after they watch, they're gonna try this newest tactic they saw on League or Overwatch in, in the server. So we treat those broadcasts differently because they're really for different audiences, I think. Yeah. How do you treat that, Brian? How do you treat that differently? What, like what's, what's, a, what's, a, what's a comparison between your strategy sure. doing a Madden broadcast versus Say, uh, let's say a MOBA style broadcast. I mean, you're differentiating between games. Is what's what's the what do you mean? No, by I, I think it's the way you present the content. So I think League does a really good job, actually, where they, I know it's League or Dota, where you guys have like a, a beginner stream, really, where it's like, oh, I'm going to explain this in layman's terms because yeah. you may not understand. That's my what's favorite going stream, on. by the way. Yeah, it's mine too. <laughs> um, but when you're watching on digital, the assumption I think is that you are a level 10 at least on, in League of Legends, and you actually care a lot more about this content. Um, and you understand it better. So they can, they can maybe go a little more in depth, right? And I think, again, going back to linear versus digital, different sponsors might have different goals. Like if you're a HyperX, do you want to reach that hardcore League of Legends fan? Um, versus if you are you know, a movie, a blockbuster movie that's coming out, do you want to be on, on linear with a, with a wider range of reach? It's so funny, because that's the opposite experience of traditional sports, right? I still can't figure out what icing is. Like people I've tried keep, to teach you. people keep I telling me what icing is, but like if you watch the if you watch CBS or NBC and they have hockey on, they're not going to explain icing to you. You have to go on, on Reddit or or go over to someone who watches hockey. So you have to go to Canada, and then you like would have to consume this type of content that way, right? Like it's just really hard. And I think same thing for American football. And I I wonder this, and, and Ed, I think you're a particularly interesting person to ask this question to. Is like, what do you do when you have like in American football, no one knows what, uh, like people can't name what like offensive holding is, right? Like they just like, don't truly understand the concept. Uh, is it just a matter of time? Like do we just let people, we already capture such a large percentage of the 18 to 34 year old demographic. In 20 years, they'll be 38 to 54, right? So that's not. Yeah, it's interesting, it's a, it's a philosophical question because I think the, the, the ground rules you're comparing are a little different because I think I could take someone who is a hardcore gamer, doesn't care about sports, and we could take them to the Celtics game last night, and if they've never seen basketball before, by the second quarter, they probably figure out what's going on. Like, you gotta put the ball in the hoop. Um, I've watched probably a thousand hours of league and I couldn't tell you like really what's going on still, right? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's confusing. And I know when people are cheering or the casters are screaming, like, and, and, and over time when I've started playing, it's like you get to know it a little bit. But it, then there's that question of, our addressable audience, is that only ever gonna be people who play the game or is it more? And I think with League and Overwatch, you start to see in FIFA, like people are actually going to the games because they care about the personalities and the storylines. It's a matter of like fleshing that out. I think we need to do a better job of storytelling we were talking about backstage. Um, and then I, was, I think there's also things around the broadcast you can do. So, you know, we work on this thing we call interactive broadcasts. So things like Twitch extensions and drops where 
is there a way for us to surface relevant information to the broadcast? Because it can be really confusing if you just join the middle of an Overwatch League broadcast today and not really know what's going on. But if you can surface contextual information and stats that kind of paint that narrative, um, I think we're slowly getting there. But there's so many things that we're working on at one time that it's, it's hard to just fully invest in one thing. Yeah, even from a storytelling perspective, you know, when we were on ESPN last year for our finals, um, you know, ESPN had a desk and they actually spent a lot of time explaining what the game was and making sure people that are tuning in that have never played can understand it. And even when you're showing the game, you know, Overwatch is a pretty hectic game and if you look at it in first person point of view and that keeps changing, it's confusing. Um, so when we're on linear, we try to, I think, show a little bit more third person, something that people can understand, they can kind of see their characters moving from, not from the uh, first person point of view. And we think that helps a lot too. I think it's something you touched on, Ed, um, is that if we think about it, eSports is still really in its infancy when we compare it to traditional sports. And at Riot, like our goal is to create a multi-generational sport. We want folks who are continually coming back to the game and having a relationship to the game, be it by play or watch, um, but also like to bring their kids. And, and we're just starting to see that now. Uh, and if we think of traditional sports and, and the relationship people have to it, it's typically they, they grow up playing it. They, they end up having a, a favorite team, they get into fandom, they may continue playing it the rest of their lives, but in, at some point, a lot of folks stop playing. And so they have a relationship to the sport itself that they then carry over into their viewing experience. And in the esports world, like, that hasn't, that's just starting to happen. And so when we, we're thinking about what is the level of education that's necessary to get the audience in, it's just starting now. But over time, what we'll end up seeing is that those folks will start bringing in their families. And that when their kids start to play, they'll also be able to have that experience with them and have a different type of uh, bonding moment over the actual game itself. And that basic understanding, which is necessary in the storytelling now, will, will evolve. Even in, in my side of the world, we, we, we struggle, not struggle, we, we talk about that all the time. It's at what point, how much do you explain? Mm -hmm. um, what's the audience? At some point, we all believe that we'll have to take the, the kid gloves off. But the example that I always yeah. use is, um, you know, you don't see people uh, explaining uh, in regular stories what a post pattern is in, uh, in a football game. You know, but, and then, but then if you don't explain enough, you'll lose an audience that isn't already familiar with you. Yeah. But you, you, you mentioned um, enhancing the viewing experience. Uh, this question is for Nicole. Um, you know, we, we're, we now know that we need a standardization metric. We need third parties. Um, that helps advertisers and everything, but are you using analytics to help and enhance the, uh, the, viewer, uh, the, the viewer experience and, and, uh, or plans to, and, and if so, how would you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, so Nielsen in the traditional sport and kind of broader entertainment space, um, we acquired a company called Grace Note who um, has a lot of kind of the, the metadata around statistics and information that ends up being overlaid on things that are across music, everything like that. Um, so I know that's something that we've looked at um, kind of moving them in in a bigger way into starting to gather that for um, esports events and then seeing um, probably first on the linear side just mm -hmm. because these guys all have it already for digital, right? So it's um, easier from a Nielsen perspective to kind of start there and see how you can kind of have that, you know, side by side on smart TVs where you have things rolling while a game is going on and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, I definitely think there's opportunity for that in the future. Kaiser, we, we talked a lot about um, Overwatch and um, how Overwatch is a, a, f a great game to play. Um, uh, it has a, has an, uh, a really enthusiastic fan base. Um, we were talking about the Shanghai Dragons today. Um, but fundamentally, the, the game is difficult to watch. 
how are you guys using analytics and data to um, figure out the best, the best way to simplify what can be a really difficult game? Yep, I think um, you know, we're always trying to tell stories through data so that people can understand what they're watching and even understand why a player may be good and why a player may not be good. Um, you know, last year we introduced the overhead cam to show the player position, and I think that helped a lot of people understand you know, positioning. Um, and as well, one of the things we're trying to figure out is how do you, through data, tell the story about a player being good? Because in a game like you know, basketball, you know, um, shot percentage is like a pretty good metric, and it actually says how many times you make a shot. But you look at a game like Overwatch where it's not necessarily about how many people you, know, you kill or there's a team fight, um, do you come out on top. There's other things, just positioning, like hiding behind the wall, making sure you don't die. Um, and trying to figure out how do, you, um, how do you tell that story through data. And it's actually really, really challenging because we have too much data. We actually have every little bit of data there is. It would be like if, if the NBA knew in basketball how many rotations the ball took between every pass. So going through all that and trying to figure out what actually makes sense and what is the right story to tell us. I think there's the piece also Doug mentioned earlier about kind of bringing the content to the viewer. And one of my favorite segments on like sports centers when they do like sports science, right? It's like LeBron could run through a brick wall or something, right? And they, and they, they talk about why that happens. And I think it's, it's how do we tell that in esports? Because it's a very cerebral game, right? It's like APM and StarCraft, like actions per minute. Like no one understands what that is. It's like the higher the better, okay. And if you're Korean, it's mine's, insane, mine's right? Mine's very low. Um, <laughs> mine um, but, but I think there's, there's ways to kind of go beyond that. Like I think I saw, um, an E-League tweet when they did like a, a fighting game thing and they were saying that they had them, they tested them for like their reflexes. And they actually said that the fighting game players were actually as good as anybody, any athlete in terms of reaction time, aside from, you like this Doug, hockey goalies actually. Um, but it, like that kind of stuff was just fascinating because I would never have expected that. And so being able to tell that story through the data, right, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a matter of I think focus of being able to devote your cycles to, to, to telling what's important. I think that's, yeah. that would be really cool. Yeah. It, it, we live in a, a great world on the esports side due to the wealth of data that we have because we have both the information coming out of the game itself that we can integrate back into the storytelling in order to build these really rich experiences and understanding like who did what, how did they do it, and why was that the like, most amazing play that you see. The other side of it though is with these types of integrations like we mentioned before with, with Twitch and platforms in the game itself, we end up having information about the audience, and, and while we can focus on bringing the content to them where they want to watch it, we can also bring the right content to them. And we can start focusing on how do you tailor that information in order to make it so that they understand the game better as it relates to the way that they want to play, or that it, it updates like, the way that they view the entertainment experience overall. Um, it, it's one of the beautiful things about esports in that digital world, and I think we're just starting to see some of that application come to life. Well, I, I may ask you to expand on that a little bit because uh, what, what Kazra is saying, uh, and Overwatch verse and, and uh, League of Legends are very different games. Yeah. And, and Kazra uh, mentioned that the overhead cam and the, the kind of the, all of the, from the beginning of Overwatch and, and, the, and the viewing experience and spectators till now, that, that experience has changed a lot from the way the colors are, from even, uh, even the percentage of using overhead cams and third party cams. However, League of Legends in that, that viewing experience has changed very little, but you're still collecting data and you're trying to benefit it. So what, how are you using that data that you collect in order to change a, a broadcast or a viewing experience of something that people are, are used to for a long time that, that, doesn't really, that hasn't really had a, a significant change in as, as long as I've been watching? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think, so, so first of all, when, my team works with this space. Like, the way that we view ourselves is we are the, the voice of the fan. 
We are there to understand what they're, what they're viewing, what their needs are, and, and make that, turn that into the best product that we can. And that is in the broadcast. And we keep certain things consistent within the broadcast because those are ways that the audience understands the game itself and that it's the easiest way for them to relate back to the game. So League of Legends is played with like a, a third-person point of view over the map. There's not really a reason to change that. What we can do, though, is we can think of when we go to highlights. Like, how can we go into a highlight reel and show a different view of that that mm. is interesting, exciting, and helps them engage with the entertainment aspect? Or we can look outside of the broadcast itself, and we can say, hey, what type of additional shoulder content can we create that gives them that value? So when we create a series like, um, uh, like The Dive, or if we go into uh, a breakdown uh, segment, we can go in and provide educational context to that player that wants to go deeper based off, again, that feedback that we receive that that's something that they're really interested in. And we can really hone those experiences for them uh, on top of the game itself while making the game still consistent. Wait, so Doug, so since you guys kicked Jad off and yeah. brought in uh, <laughs> Captain Flowers uh, into the show, do you guys have pretty good data about like how many older TSM fans you've lost and how many clutch gaming fans you've gained? Like it's, is that the type of granularity you have in there? I think, I think we get at least one clutch gaming fan. Uh, just yeah. only one. Just, <laughs> just one that I've seen in the data so far. It, it's super interesting, right? Because yeah. if, you guys, if you guys can manipulate, like manipulate might not be the right word, but like if you guys can manipulate viewer behavior based on how you guys are observing them, that's incredibly powerful, right? Yeah. Like that, that would be like changing the games to make people watch it more. That's, yeah. We, we, glad we, you guys are working on that. As, as, as someone in your league, I'm very happy about that. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's again, our, our focus is to make the best experience for the player at home. And for that fan that's watching the game, we want to continually to evolve the product space so that they're entertained, mm -hmm. that they want to come back, that they want to ask for more content, and that they have a great experience when they spend time with us. Because if they have a great experience with us, that means everyone else that we bring into the space, everyone that we invest into the ecosystem with, has a, a authentic and great relationship with that fan as well. And there's trust there. And so we want to continue to evolve that as much as we can and, and do that through data. Hey, Ryan, real quickly, just, I know <laughs> sure. you're the moderator, but I just want to ask <laughs> you You're doing great, so how do you compare, I'm just like, how does ESPN compare these three games against each other? And I'm, uh, probably a Nielsen question as well. Like, your game lasts almost exactly an hour. Your FIFA Madden games are pretty like set forth, but like the your Apex game can last really long or really short, right? Like if there's a lot more. Really than, long. Really, really long. <laughs> and then and then the and then like Overwatch has a map point system that really confuses me still. So like how, how does how how do those three things measure up against each other? How does that work? I guess I guess I'll, I'll I'll do the moderator thing and answer and send this to Nicole. Like, yeah. how, how do you compare games versus games and and, uh, and, and yeah, whatever Sebastian asked me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to and and talk about these three games, but then you can expand that to okay, IEM Ketawise is going on, and that's a mm -hmm. weekend long event where about you're a half reaching a million people watching a ton right of now, different think, people, yeah. multiple games, all that. And so when you think about it in that way, like. We've talked about standardizing metrics, but there does have to be multiple types of metrics that you can look at to make sure you're understanding all aspects. So you can look at the average viewer across the course of a particular broadcast, which will equalize the length of your match versus your match versus your match versus Ketawise. But 
it's probably going to be a lot different or you could tell a really different story if you look at how many people were reached across the course of an entire broadcast, which is also valuable. And if you're measuring it in the right way across all of them, can tell a different story. So Katowice over a weekend may reach a lot more people because there's just that much more content to be able to um, consume. So I think it's just identifying, you know, which, you know, having all metrics for all different format and game types, and then allowing people to tell the right story for their particular properties. And this is kind of, can kind of go with, um, with Kazra and Ed too, I'll start with Ed, that, you know, you, you're, you publish uh, uh, sports titles, and uh, now you've recently launched um, Apex Legends. Um, you know, how do you, uh, how do you compare your different titles, and, and are they, are the audiences as segmented as, as I assume they, they are, or do you see a lot of overlap into how they're playing your suite of games, or watching your suite of games? Yeah, I think for, for the competitive gaming division, we kind of look at our objectives in, in two different ways, and I think one is, uh, we call it player engagement, so based off what we're doing in terms of producing content and putting on competitive programs and features in the game, do we do we change player behavior? Mm. And, and we've shown that we can. Players that are involved in competition at EA, um, whether it's viewing or it's competing, uh, they spend a lot more time in the game and they, and they spend more money in the game, right? Um, the second piece is when we look at kind of out of, we call out of game revenue. So it's sponsorship, media rights, um, things that you guys are, are focusing on right now with your franchise leagues and all that. Uh, and we're, we're working on that. And I think when you compare across the games, you have to figure out when you're comparing other publishers, we don't know their player data, um, but we know what their numbers look like and we can compare on, on that basis. Um, and then I think when we look at our games, it just it really depends on the specific genre and the audience type and uh, we have a data team that, that they're responsible for kind of crunching those numbers and seeing where there's cannibalization and things like that. But, but really when we look at other publishers, we look at that viewership angle, like things like Mutable Hours, AMA. Yeah. Um, that we've been talking for months about, yeah. yeah but we do, actually do you see cross-pollination? We definitely do, and it's, it's not, the overlap isn't as much as people think. You know, like, I'll use Call of Duty and Overwatch as an example. The overlap is probably like 5%. It's actually two different audiences, so it's in our benefit to grow both. Mm. And anytime new games come out and people see a game get really popular, the whole pie is growing, and it, I think it adds viewers to everyone's, um, everyone's pool. It's not necessarily people jumping between yeah. any of these games. It's, it's not a zero-sum game. I think yeah. people assume, like, oh, Fortnite's the king now, and they have all the viewers. It's like, actually, Fortnite has probably brought in a ton of new viewers onto Twitch, and hopefully yeah. Apex has also in Overwatch and League, um, and that there, people have different moods. Sometimes I want to watch NBA, sometimes I want to watch football, um, you know, and, and it, there's just something for everybody, and that's yeah. kind of how we see our games, too. And you I think could, that's a dynamic of the Twitch platform as well, where it's, you know, right now, pretty much any content related to eSport can all be in one place and it's really easy to kind of experiment and flip back and forth between. I think it'll be interesting to see in five years, depending on where the broadcast landscape is, if that becomes easier or more difficult for people to so fluidly go across. Yeah. And you can actually even see it like on Sundays, for example, I think all three of our uh, games have leagues on yeah. every Sunday and the viewership is still the same. It's not like it's going down. Yeah. Um, there's just more people tuning in on Sundays. That's the... Um, the, the the, the, the two arguments I made is that means that there's room for everybody to play. There's a, large, there's a large interest and a large audience. And also, I think it also underscores some of the segmentation, though, that you do have between games by games. I think that MOBA fans are MOBA fans, and FPS fans are FPS fans, and the fighting game community is robust and great. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure how much overlap there is, and maybe one, one day we'll get to that place where we can figure that out. Um, we have a few, um, we have a few uh, reader, uh, viewer questions. Um, and I guess uh, I can start with 
with Kazer actually, because Overwatch is a more general question, um, but when um, uh, Activision Blizzard has multiple esports title, titles from the OG StarCraft to, you know, uh, to now to Overwatch, as a gaming company, you know, how do you um, uh, determine which are the best esports to invest in, or did you just say this? The Overwatch is this is it. We're, we've, we we believe in the in this model. Um, I think a lot a lot of that has to do with looking at the potential and the future of it, um, and the potential for the game because you can't just make an esport that you know lasts for one or two years. You look at League, for example, it's been around for years and years, mm -hmm. um, and it's trying to identify which games can be around for that much longer. Mm -hmm. Same for you, Ed. I mean, you guys um, give a, a suite of multiple titles, and uh, do you? Do you, do you differentiate between maybe like a, a FIFA ecosystem and a Madden ecosystem and say, this is where we want our priority to be? Yeah, well, first of all, I think we're very impressed with what Blizzard has done with Overwatch League of kind of going out there before officially or really knowing what the market looks like in terms of viewership, and they've done really well so far with that, so that's great. Um, you know, the way that we've taken the approach for the competitive gaming division is starting kind of more of the, the, the grassroots perspective of, um, we want to, our slogan is we want to make stars of all the players. Like, we want that narrative of someone on their couch at home playing FIFA sees that, oh, I can qualify for the weekend league and I can actually make it to the FUT Champions Cup in Singapore and become the champion. And, we, and I think we're one of the only games up here that still has that ability to do that. Um, and, you know, I think we get the question a lot of, hey, what's your response to the Overwatch League and LCS? Mm -hmm. Like, I think it, a lot of it depends on the success of the game itself, the viewership, you know, how well we do on both the player and the out of out of game side. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, thought and, and one that, that we think about too. Doug had uh, talked about how um, uh, Riot uh, Riot you want League of Legends to be a multi generational esport. It's one of the longest ones that's been around. It's been consistent. Um, uh, how do you do that? I mean, how, how, do, you, uh, how do you use data to have a long term with, with so much changing and so much, you know, so many distractions? What's your strategy to keep, to keep it going on for the years? Yeah, I think it comes back to can we create the experience that the players and fans at home want? And how do we keep doing that? So for us, the data is about gaining that, that voice of them and understanding what their needs are. Is it, again, why are they coming in to watch to begin with? Are they coming in to learn? Are they coming because it's entertaining? Is it social? Mm -hmm. Is it because like they're a sneaky fan and they, they just want more sneaky? Um, we want to understand We want more that. sneaky. We, we always <laughs> want more sneaky. Um, and so for, for us, what we look to do is continue to listen and continue to, to modify both the, the delivery mechanisms, again, like go where they are and create great content. Because at the end of the day, content is king. And having the content where people want to be is the right place for it. And so we'll continue to evolve those two things uh, over time in order to make the right experiences for our audience. So. It's kind of tangential to that. Uh, Kazra, um, knowing that League of Legends was the, the biggest player in the space when, uh, when Overwatch League was conceptualized and designed, how much did you look at what Riot was doing and how much did that influence uh, the, the, the decisions you made to, uh, to, to launch the league the way you did? You know, I don't know how much of it influenced it, but you know, I think everyone knew that esports needed more structure. Uh -huh. I mean, that's something we set out to do, and you know, we also felt that people wanted to support cities, and we wanted to create a city-based structure, and allow, just like Lee did, allow teams to buy a franchise and ensure that they're part of that sport for the years to come as well. Um, and Sebastian, uh, you had a decision to make about which, which, which league to join. You had many options, and you looked at a lot of, how much did data influence your decision 
to uh, to join uh, to, to inform the Houston Rockets to join uh, League of Legends rather than anything else. Yeah, I mean, data was the greatest driver of everything. I mean, we're a very data-driven organization. It, it starts at the top. Then Leslie Alexander and now Tony Fertitta goes through. You know, Tad Brown, Rafael Stone, Daryl Morey, and so it didn't make the decision that there wasn't just a clear number <coughs> to look at. And one number said one, and one number said ten, and so you just picked right. the ten. It wasn't like that, but there were similar numbers. We we use a lot of analysis from international markets, right? So we, we have a, we have a few hypotheses. For example, that South Korea is a pretty good bellwether for game retention rates over long periods of time. Uh, we also saw there's a lot of variance, right? There's there's a there's a person who teaches a class at UT Austin on esports who was messaging me the other day and asking like, why is it that every year I have to change my battle royale slide? I mean, what he means? Well, I start with H1Z1, and then I had to put in PUBG, and then by the time PUBG had a league, like Fortnite became a thing, and by the time Fort I finally figured out what Fortnite was, we have Apex, and, and, and that's and I was like, yeah, that's that, that's hard, right? That that actually does hurt a esport from blossoming correctly, and so we were looking at a lot of those factors, and uh, when you combine that with just like the desire to focus on a specific game, a specific ecosystem. Uh, you know, League of Legends really killed at those numbers, up and down, and both in terms of viewership, in terms of uh, lack of churn, in terms of retention. And so we figured, hey, those are the most important metrics to look at, and so that informed our decision. And so it was very data-driven in that sense, although, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's, uh, the data confidence intervals were much larger than uh, I would personally be comfortable with generally. And I, I think what's interesting, though, going back to that process is, there wasn't just that one number, right? That similar to like I think uh, uh, Barack Obama's talk here last year, it's about having good information across the board and having a, a good system of being able to understand that, get value out of that, and make a, a good judgment call, right? Because at the end of the day, data is only going to get you so far. Yeah, and, and for what's worth, I think people who are trying to project this industry out beyond the next 18 months are crazy. Like if, if you came to me 18 months ago, and told me that in the next 18 months, Fortnite's going to come onto the scene, destroy everything, create a superstar, mm -hmm. and then lose 50% of whatever within a 12-month period. And I'd be like, what's Fortnite? Or that, that, that'd be the question, right? And so that, to, to assume that, therefore, like we, we, you make decisions in the moment, right? You, take, you, you have to be happy with your process. Um, you have to trust the process, but without mm -hmm. you know, losing. Like you have to trust the process. And then you have to go from there and hoped that you had the right information. And so I think data collection was probably a large part of it. Uh, data validation was a large part of it. And uh, just a lot of hope and luck. But, but I think you made a really good point there. It's about having the right information and good information. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, I think, what this group is really here to, to talk about and get at. Because if we're not the ones that are stewarding good information out there, teams like, like, like Clutch would be making bad decisions. Yeah, no, for sure, right? Because it's, it's, if you just have, if you make, if you base your financial models off of Newsu's billion dollar number, I'm like, man, we are not close to a billion dollars on the esports side yet. Getting there. Nicole, yes. uh, you, you guys actually brought up a really good point where we didn't see Apex Legends coming. I mean, I know you did, but, uh, but, but we didn't. And, uh, uh, you know. Did and, you though? <laughs> I knew about it. <laughs> right. You, you actually you even said you weren't really quite sure at Wethy. You, you were surprised by the impact that it immediately had. But how did, how did uh, Nielsen, how are you accounting for new games? I mean, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Apex comes basically out of nowhere, and 
um, and, and, and changes the ecosystem that, that Fortnite had been dominating in a heartbeat. And you know, later this year, who knows what's going to come out that will, that will grab attention again, yet you're, still, you're trying to come up with a consistent way of making advertisers attractive to this space. So yeah. how do you account for a brand new game coming out, and, and what, what do you do about that? Um, I mean, first of all, we're really candid in the brands that we work with that that is going to continue to happen in esports. No one's going to solve it, and I actually think that's a really good, cool, dynamic thing about esports that you're not going to get in traditional sports. That there is the opportunity for new things, new titles, new opportunities to come in. And if you're a brand investing, you kind of have the choice of, okay, I'm going to go with the League of Legends that has been really consistent, and that's the path I want to go, or you have the path of. I love esports, and I may be in a different game a year from now, but I've established myself as connecting with the esport fan, and so I'm comfortable with that varying, you know, from from one title to the next, from one opportunity to the next. Um, that being said, I mean, of course, we're collecting all sorts of data and, and trying to look at, you know, through different countries and, and fan bases and that sort of thing, what, um, you know, how titles are rising or how titles are falling over time. Um, and, and then working with brands that, that we're partnering with to kind of match that up with who their audiences are, what their goals are, um, and then just kind of trying the best from there. I mean, if these guys don't know that their next title is going to be a big esports hit, then honestly, Nielsen's probably not going to know either. So we have to be a little bit comfortable with not knowing and being really transparent about that. What are the types of advertisers that are, that are more flexible on, uh, on new titles? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm making an assumption, but would it be yeah. a, like, a, like, a, like a Honda or a Toyota that might prefer a more stable um, existing ecosystem and maybe like a HyperX or, a, you know, a, a peripheral company being okay with it overall is that kind of accurate, or, do you, or are you trying to are you trying to help cross pollinate a little bit of that too? Yeah, I mean, certainly endemics. Any esport is basically going to be relevant to them because whoever's watching it is the audience that they need to sell product to. So that one's kind of like checking the box. They're going to be most comfortable with the ebb and flow over time. Um, when you talk about non-endemics, uh, it's I have actually found it's more part kind of a function of the culture of the brand and who's yeah. making the decision within it. You can't categorically say car companies are going to be cool with this, but insurance companies are not. It's really about how they are viewing esports in terms of what they want. Do they want a certain number of impressions every year to check a box, or do they want to create a relationship with the fan? And then just kind of who's leading that charge internally that mm -hmm. really has a vision of, of how they can connect. So mm -hmm. it's really more about one-off, as I'm sure you guys, when you yeah. work with different yeah. partners and try to you know develop packages and Connections we, we, are seeing the the same. other thing that we've found is that you know esports a little different than traditional sports. Where traditional sports, you would probably let your kid watch any traditional sport. You want to watch hockey, you want to watch curling, whatever it is. Um, but we've talked to teams who have teams in, for example, Counter Strike, where the content is a little more. It's terrorist, anti-terrorist. There's, there's, it's bloody. Like they're shooting people in the face. Like um, some advertisers won't, won't touch that, right? And so um, games that are more family friendly. Uh, tend to have that advantage too, of, especially if it's an, a, a new entrant into the space. Like, we don't want to get our hands dirty with something like this. Let's try it with FIFA or Overwatch or League or something. League's been great for, because it seems as though like they just can't, like, it's an addicting game. And I think that's something that, that's like less off talked about is that video games are very addicting. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're not entirely healthy for everyone, uh, quite frankly. And so what's interesting here is that you, you see less churn from the more addicting of the game, right? And so. Your people are, I think I saw FIFA was both the first and 10th most sold game on console last month, 
FIFA 19 being number one, FIFA 18 and being number really? two. And those games aren't that different, with all due respect. Uh, and so, like, it's for clear. And similarly, like, League of Legends, like, despite the fact it came out in 09 or whatever, like, it was still, like, number one or number two on people just coming back and constantly spending more money and really enjoying it. And so, uh, that consistency has been really cool, I think. And I think we're going to start seeing more of it. Yeah. And that's going to help. Yeah. But I, I think to Nicole's point, um, when we're talking about the, the, the conversations you're having with these brands and these, these non endemics are moving into the space, the first part is, okay, are the numbers true? And can I get the right type of return on my investment here? Which is something, again, that needs to be handled. And then after that, it's who's the right partner for me to have the type of uh, engagement with the audience that is meaningful, right? And that, that's where, uh, from a league perspective, we want to have that conversation. We want to focus on that because from each of the different games, you end up with a different type of uh, audience to, to some degree. And then a different type of footprint that you can engage with and a different type of brand relationship. And that's a, a better conversation for us to have because that's when we're really starting to think about how do you take the brand and insert it into, a, into this in a meaningful way. So. Okay, um, well, we're reaching the end of our time. Uh, thank you very much. Hope we get to a, a day where we have a standardized metric and, and everybody knows what they're buying into and um, I'm sure you will, the foundation has been laid up here. Uh, thanks for everybody joining us. I appreciate it. If you want to hear these panels in person next year on March 6th and 7th, 2020 in Boston, please register for the 14th annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference at sloansportsconference.com. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.